The bullwhip effect of supply chains. Labor disputes on the rails. And last mile logistics help to secure customer loyalty. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Honeywell Intelligrated. From system design and simulation to integrated warehouse automation software and technologies to ASRS shuttles and robotics, Honeywell Intelligrated's end-to-end solutions address the most pressing e-commerce and labor challenges facing our industry. Find out more at sps.honeywell.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, when consumer demand goes up sharply, manufacturers ramp up their production to meet that demand. But it does not all happen at once. Often they produce more than is needed and not always with the right timing. That creates a bullwhip effect for our supply chains. To explain more, here's Ben with today's guest. Ben? Companies across the nation are facing supply chain issues, whether that's backups at the ports, a tight trucking market, overstuffed warehouse inventory, rising fuel costs, tight labor, pandemic shutdowns and rebounds, many more. When you combine all those factors, one of the outcomes that's been hitting the logistics sector hard is called the bullwhip effect. In recent months, that's really become a buzzword that we see mentioned in many reports and presentations. Uh, But what exactly is the bullwhip effect and what can companies do about it? Here to talk about that is our guest this week, who is Sentil Rajagopalan. He is president and COO at Profit.co, which is a San Francisco-based B2B software startup. They help companies improve their goal management and execution by tracking objectives and key results, or OKRs. Uh, Thank you for joining us, Sintil. Thanks, Ben. Uh, I really appreciate having us here today. I look forward to the discussion. Great. Uh, so th- from the top, let's start off with definitions. Uh, what exactly is the bullwhip effect? Yeah, the term bullwhip effect was first coined by an MIT professor called Jay Forrester. Right? So just visualize cracking a bullwhip. Right? Although the movement of the wrist is small, it creates an amplified chain reaction right? with a relatively large swing as you go towards the end of the whip. Right. So in supply chain terms, the bullwhip effect really describes a phenomenon in which inventory levels undergo increasingly larger fluctuations up the supply chain in response to a shift in consumer demand. So what starts out as a small change in demand at the retail level leads to a very substantial variation and uncertainty in supply uh, demand as well as the lead time across the supply chain. Essentially, customers have the whip handle and any changes in the demand actually causes an impact up the, an amplified impact up the supply chain. That's what we're seeing. All of us in supply chain know that there are six to 10 inventory points between the end customer and the original supplier. You have various suppliers, part manufacturers, the final manufacturer, assembly, warehouses, at various levels, stores, and then the consumers, right? So 
a lot of local optimization is going on at every level. On the one hand, you know, everybody is trying to protect themselves from stock out situations and missed customer orders by keeping a little extra inventory, right, to hedge against variability in the supply chain. But at the same time, every MBA start that optimizing inventory through concepts like JIT just in time can really increase profitability. Right? So with the onset of COVID and the coordinated response, right, with a vaccination happening at a record pace, we have seen the bullwhip effect causing shocks on both sides, a sudden surge in demand of several items. And then as the COVID-induced demand started coming down, right, an impact on excess inventory at various levels. Right? So we have seen both of this really happening. Traditionally, bullwhip effect used to happen because of uh, you know, problems with forecasting, right? Uh, where you know, poor forecasting would cause sudden either surge in demand or fall in demand, and there because of that, you know, having an impact on every stage of the chain, or due to retailers doing over discounting. But what is happening today is really a COVID-19 induced one, right? Which is what we will talk a little more as we keep going. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, it, it, it sounds, of course, uh, like so many things uh, that, that the impact of COVID and, and uh, as we mentioned at the top, both the shutdowns and the rebounds um, are really triggering some big changes. Um, that, that concept of keeping a little extra inventory, um, can, as you say, can really amplify uh, when those changes come to hit. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious how the bullwhip effect puts stress specifically on logistics operations. Uh, I know you talked about a lot of points between uh, the, the, the original supplier and the customer, um, but how do you see that playing out logistics? Yeah, in, um, in multiple ways. Right? So first, initially people thought that uh, de demand for goods, right, the economic activity will come down and demand will come down, but actually we saw that people were stockpiling. And so contrary to expectations, the demand for container shipping grew pretty rapidly during the pandemic. And it bounced back very rapidly right, during, after the initial slowdown. People talked about the V-shaped recovery, right? for example, in the stock markets. Now, this increase in demand was really stronger than expected. And it was not really met with a sufficient supply of shipping capacity. And everybody through the logistics world, you know, whether it was carriers, ports or shippers, everybody were really taken up by surprise. And people reacted in multiple ways. Right? So for example, businesses who may not have enough internal storage capacity or you know, finding a warehouse providers full, they found you know, rates really rocketing for temporary storage. And they tried multiple things right? by hiring excess inventory or optimizing their excess storage space to host more racking or um, you know, installing entirely new storage systems, high density racking, things like that. Right? Um, so this had a huge impact in terms of uh, operations readiness and uh, really, you know, eventually the profitability. But there is another very important aspect, which is really the people aspect. You know, as the demand increased rapidly, right, we saw an unbelievably high hiring patterns happening in Stuttgart they recruited 300,000 new gig workers in just a month, and they wanted to you know, increase even more. But at the same time, in addition to things like the computer chip shortages, we saw that there was a lack of universal protocol for both the virus as well as the vaccine. 
And this really, along with a sharp increase in demand, really put a lot of uh, you know, people issues to the fore, right? Uh, you had mandatory quarantines, you know, people calling sick. And you know, all of this with the job description seemed to really change every day as you know, federal and state guidelines started changing, right? So the impact on the logistics invent, uh, industry right, has been in all aspects, right? With uh, carriers, ports, shippers, warehouses, uh, even the and the people aspect, which is probably the biggest one. Yeah, for sure. That the, the people aspect, um, the, the 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 labor markets, the unemployment rates uh, have have been a fascinating thing to watch in these recent months. Um, it, it's interesting, that, and, and you mentioned you know several really different parts between from war, warehouse storage systems to the labor and hiring pulses. Um, when the bullwhip effect strikes, you know, supply chain, do all those things happen at once, or do they? happen in sequence in a cascade? Uh, how, how does the sector see it? So the impact to the supply chain, you know, we are seeing that it really starts in one place, but then it cascades across the entire industry, right? So case in point, let us take the automobile industry. So from the consumer side, we saw that people wanted to avoid, you know, being very close to other people and hence shunning mass transit, right? So they wanted to buy more cars and also people didn't want to take uh, planes. So they wanted to go and go to faraway places. So people wanted to take vacations, which are closer to home, which means more driving. So we saw a lot of, um, you know, demand for the automobiles actually going up in a, in a huge way, but at the same time, right? Because of the lockdowns, which were happening in factories, as well as specific shortages of chips, we saw that cars, automobile industry was heavily affected, right? They couldn't assemble cars. We saw a um, lot of workarounds and there were companies in India giving automobiles with just one key saying that we'll give the remaining keys later. And I've uh, read that uh, in Russia, for example, they are actually selling cars without even seat belts and ABS, right? So you see the what started off as an increased demand at the consumer side, it was a double-sided shock. There was a shock at the consumer demand level, and also there was a demand at the a shock at the factory level where there were uh, shutdowns happening because of the pandemic, right? So we saw impact at both sides and a huge impact, right? The automobile industry is lost uh, by one estimate up to about $60 billion in sales last year. And interestingly, the only company which really escaped, um, you know, from this relatively better compared with everybody else was uh, Toyota, right? And how did Toyota escape? Because Toyota had actually gone through uh, their own supply chain, uh, supply chain shock, right? When an earthquake happened in 2011, right? So when that happened, and they actually saw that their supply chain was absolutely vulnerable, right? With uh, 1,800 parts, you know, getting affected. So they actually took a lot of steps to really build resilience into this supply chain. And they increased the stockpile of the inventory, you know, two to six months for semiconductors, which really helped them in a huge way right, uh, during this crisis. Interesting. Yeah, that, that, that concept of a, a double-sided shock is, is a fascinating one, both surges and shortages and, and shocks as well on the production side. Uh, sounds like really challenging stuff. You just mentioned one uh, success story. Uh, my, my next question was going to touch on that. Is there anything that companies can do to cope with bullwhip effects in their supply chains? 
So first, uh, companies are doing multiple things. They are first, um, you know, but the important thing is to first really understand the whole concept of um, bullwhip effect, uh, improve the communication right across the entire supply chain and do a, a better job of uh, demand forecasting and revisit concepts like uh, minimum order quantity and really improve the raw material planning process. Right? So all of those people can do, uh, but from our point of view, right? So the area where we touch upon and we help companies is that we have found that many companies have highly competent people and teams in various departments, like sourcing, production, logistics, demand planning, warehousing and transportation, but they often work in silos and they may not have knowledge of the goals of the organization and the big picture, right? So they may not have access to the priorities of the overall organization as well as the other departments. So this is where OKRs and Profit.co you know, come in, right? So OKR is a goal management system used by teams to achieve stretch goals through a framework that requires regular check-ins, feedback, and collaborative problem solving. And so as part of the digitalization of the supply chain, a lot of technologies have been used, including IoT, machine learning, and 3D printing, et cetera. Right? But if we can use a collaborative goal management and execution system like OKRs, where you define the goals of the company right, at the corporate level and then cascade the goals into the various departments and make sure there is complete visibility, 360 degrees visibility and alignment. And as changes keep happening in one part of the organization, because everybody checks in the progress of their goals every week, and people are able to see any changes in the demand, and that really helps uh, things to happen. So we really had a huge success with a global footwear uh, manufacturer who does sourcing and supply chain out of uh, APAC, who has been able to really withstand the supply chain trouble much better than some of their industry peers using OKRs as their goal management and execution philosophy. Gotcha. Really interesting. Yeah, it, it, it always comes down to, to communication. The, the one thing we know about the logistics sector is that uh, the change is always around the corner. Sentil, we really appreciate your spending some time with us today. Sure. Thank, thank you very much, Dave. Thanks a lot for having us here today. Uh, our guest today has been Sentil. He's president and COO at Profit.co. Back to you, Dave. Thank you, Sentil and Ben. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Victoria, you wrote this week about executive action to address the labor strife at our railroads. Can you tell us what happened and what it means? Sure. Uh, yeah, happy to. So supply chain industry trade groups and others are really praising the Biden administration's efforts to address the ongoing railway labor negotiations, calling it an important step to avoid disruptions that would slow trade and add to inflationary pressures. What happened was President Biden signed an executive order on July 15th, establishing a presidential emergency board to help resolve labor disputes between freight railroads and rail labor organizations. That move came ahead of a deadline to either intervene in the nationwide talks that cover about 115,000 rail workers or risk a strike or lockout. This emergency board has 30 days to investigate the dispute and issue a report on how it should be resolved. 
and the railways and labor unions will also then have some more time to respond to those recommendations. So this action essentially begins a kind of cooling off period aimed at helping both sides uh, reach a settlement. I should also add that the talks between major freight railroads and labor unions have been dragging on for something like more than two years. So this has been going on for a while. And, and as in the industry right away, um, some trade groups weighed in um, supporting this decision, uh, the National Retail Federation and the American Trucking Associations were two of them, uh, calling the establishment of this emergency board an essential step to avoiding disruptions that would hamper trade, especially as peak shipping season gets underway, the preparations for that. So both groups point, pointed to the many stresses the supply chain has been under including the pandemic-induced delays and disruptions we've been experiencing, and especially the inflation the country is suffering under now, um, as really um, you know, important reasons that this additional stress uh, be avoided, or at least staved off as peak season preparations get underway. Right, well, this does come at a crucial time. Did anyone weigh in on some of those other stresses in particular? Yes, I reached out to Don Tiora, who is CEO and president of Sourcing Industry Group, and that's a, a group that represents executives in sourcing, procurement, and risk um, at Fortune 500 and Global 1000 companies. And we talked about the rail negotiations, as well as the ongoing West Coast dock worker talks and the ramifications, excuse me, surrounding California's AB5 labor law. She described these three things as kind of a perfect storm of potential supply chain complications. Just to remind listeners, uh, the dock worker talks are ongoing, um, and both sides have promised not to take action that would slow or stall cargo movement on the West Coast, but there's still a lot of fear out there that slowdowns may occur if that situation isn't resolved soon. As for AB5, that's a labor law passed in California that requires companies to compensate certain independent contractors as full employees and it includes truck drivers. Legal proceedings had kept the law from being applied, but the issue is in the spotlight again following a June Supreme Court decision, essentially allowing it to take effect. Um, all of these pressures together um, have companies throughout the supply chain really concerned about further delays and disruptions in what many call an already battered supply chain. Um, AB5 has gotten the most press this week, Truckers started protesting the law on Monday and actually succeeded in shutting down terminals at the Port of Oakland. Uh, the independent owner operators there argue that the law will put them out of business by increasing their costs. That's in the form of additional fees and higher insurance, for instance, that are part of that law, or forcing them into full-time employment rather than uh, running their own businesses. Many industry experts I've spoken to including Don Tiora of SIG, agree that this law is problematic for the logistics industry and say it will affect uh, freight capacity in California. And actually, we saw this morning a statement from the Port of Oakland saying that the protests have um, effectively shut down operations at shipping terminals there and that this will further exacerbate the congestion of containers that are dwelling at the Oakland seaport. Um, as you know, officials kind of urge operations to resume. So a lot of stress out there and we'll continue to see how it unfolds and we'll certainly be following, following what's going on in Oakland right now. Yeah, we'll certainly keep track of all that. Thank you, Victoria. You're welcome. And Ben, you wrote this week about the continuing role of last mile logistics in the fight for e-commerce customers. What more can you tell us? Yeah, exactly. We're kind of uh, moving on the topic here from uh, from way up the supply chain with the bullwhip effect to, to Victoria's uh, reporting on the ports. And now I'm going right into the stores and, and people's wallets here. 
uh, e-commerce activity soared, of course, during the pandemic for a lot of reasons. We've been covering it uh, for months now. People were working more from home. They were shopping less in person, uh, trying to go touchless. They were converting their spend from restaurants and travel to physical goods, lots of reasons. Uh, even so, it's important to say that even now, uh, estimates put e-commerce spend at something like 13 to 17% of total retail sales. Uh, and the rest, of course, that 80% or so is uh, still brick and mortar. But the really fast growth that's been happening in the last couple of years has obviously attracted huge competition between online retailers uh, to either gain or retain new customers. So DC Velocity uh, doesn't cover straight retail issues, but we're a transportation and warehousing magazine, as our readers and listeners know. But we saw a survey this week that showed that one of the most critical tools in that fight uh, that retailers have to reach their goal is right in our wheelhouse, and that's last mile logistics. In other words, the physical way that these e-commerce parcels get dropped on your doorstep is at least as critical for customer loyalty as retail issues like you know web interfaces and sales prices and brand reputations and these things. So the headline on the report that we saw was that nearly nine out of 10 online shoppers, 88% actually, will just abandon their virtual shopping carts if they see poor delivery terms promised on the e-commerce website. So instead of making the order and clicking that buy now button, they'll just close the browser window and, and walk away, browse away. Uh, that survey came from FarEye. They're a Chicago-based provider of delivery orchestration and real-time visibility tools. Uh, they talked to about a thousand U.S. consumers in June. And FarEye found that even customers who receive their parcels may refuse to shop with that online seller again, uh, with 85% of them saying they wouldn't shop with the retailer again after having had a poor delivery experience. So it uh, shows how really critical it is. Yeah, well, of course, that survey does show how shoppers can be really fickle, but did it also reveal exactly how the last mile operations can help? Great question. What can you do about it? Yep. Um, so in terms of defining uh, what are those dreaded, quote, poor delivery terms, uh, the survey asked consumers to define what would be good, what's a positive delivery experience. And the results included fast delivery. That's no surprise. Low shipping cost and delivery tracking and visibility. Those were the top three, uh, but other important aspects uh, were an easy returns process and sustainable delivery and the ability to select delivery windows. Uh, the survey also showed, however, how far some companies have to go before they can reach those kinds of plateaus, those goals. Um, they said that 86% of consumers, again, you know, nearly nine out of 10, prefer to wait no more than three days for a delivery, so we're impatient. And only 7% of consumers felt that their online returns process had been easy. Uh, so lots of improvements still to go. Finally, FarEye Chief Marketing Officer, Judd Marcello, said that the whole process is actually a moving target. Uh, he said these survey results further reinforce the need for last mile delivery logistics to evolve, to meet ever-changing consumer demands and solve that last mile challenge. Uh, so Marcelo said that the last mile is only gonna get more complicated in the future, but it's still the linchpin to success for brands that are always trying to get that consumer loyalty. Right, and that just emphasizes how important a good customer service experience is to e-commerce success. Thanks, Ben. Yep, glad to do it. 
We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And also check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. And again, our thanks to Santil Rajakapalan for being our guest today. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. And speaking of subscribing, we encourage you to check out our sister podcast series, Supply Chain in the Fast Lane, co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. We have a new series of programs focusing on supply chain digitalization. So subscribe to Supply Chain in the Fast Lane wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Honeywell Intelligrated. Be sure to check out the Honeywell Intelligrated On The Move podcast at Apple, Spotify, or Google. All episodes of their podcast series are also posted at sps.honeywell.com slash onthemovepodcasts. You can also find Honeywell Intelligrated on LinkedIn and Twitter using the hashtag at Intelligrated. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters. Be sure to join us. Until then, stay safe and have a great week.